Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rash's World. Today, we have a special guest who is who has been here before various times. Radia Gleis, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Arash? Thanks for having me again. Uh, I'm awesome. So you don't really need an introduction, but I just want our, our audience to know you're the author of the book, The Followers, Holy Hell and the Disciples of Narcissistic Leaders. And you have the second edition out. So um, what has been added on? What's the difference here between the first and the second edition? It's actually, I did a lot of, you know, the first edition is really long. And so in, in the reviews I was getting, you know, I wanted to um, help my readers out a little bit. So, so I called out a few chapters. I changed some names um, in there that needed to be changed. There were some people that um, came to light that I really were not going to endorse. So I remove them from the book. Um, and I just, you know, I, I worked with my editor to just basically um, hair down um, some of the details because, you know, Arash, history is moving, as I say in my book, faster than a stenographer on crystal meth, you know. So things, <laughs> things have changed a lot, you know. I mean, God, it changes every day. And so I put um, more new stuff that's going on in history, going on in this country, took out stuff that it's like everybody knows at this point. So that's kind of what I did. I just sort of re-edited it. Yeah, it used to be a time where there was a status quo, where things would remain somewhat stagnant or similar. And now we see like every day things are changing. And it's it's insane. The, the breakneck speed it's, is insane. Yeah, it's just insane. We're seeing just jaw-dropping things happening in this country and in the world that you know, I guess I guess it's not really new, but the thing is, is that media is so fast nowadays that what what would take maybe a year for you get to get the information on, you know, what's happening in 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 politics and things like that. Now it's like seconds, you know. It's hard to keep track. It feels like the world is on steroids, and you know, it's like so many things coming all at once, and try to make sense of it all. That's pretty tough. You know, and it's true. And I think also that we have, uh, we're getting a shorter attention span. You know, like when I first wrote the book, I have so much more to say. And my editor said, Radia, you can't, you can't put everything into this book, you know. Um, I'm like, but it may be the last. It's not. I'm writing a few others right now. But um yeah. But she said, you know, you can always write addendums in articles, you know, you don't have to cram it all in one book. So that was kind of what we were, you know, I, I'm trying to hair down to the demographic that, that really wants things faster. You know, and I also want to mention that you are on Netflix on uh, how to become a cult leader. You were on the third episode and congrats. To yeah. that. It's great to see you. So you're taking on yeah. television and streaming services as well. I know. Right. I was um, I was first in the documentary Holy Hell, which is what sort of triggered me to write my book. And then 
you know, Netflix, actually Netflix got a hold of Will Allen, the director. Um, he's still in Los Angeles. He's still editing and, and doing other work in Hollywood. So uh, the his producer and the producer at Netflix, they knew each other. And they said, you know, we saw Holy Hell. It's like incredible. We really want to get in touch with these people. And so um, they got a hold of Will and they said, who would be, you know, who would be good for what we want to do? And he said, well, I think you should talk to Radia. And she's also got a book out and she's got a, you know, for what they're trying to do. Um, I had a pretty educated kind of perspective on what they were trying to show. You know, of course, those Netflix series are, are so short. I think that they were very good. I think that they, you know, with the use of animation and humor and whatever, I think that they were well received. Again, there is your audience that wants it real short, wants it easy to digest, you know. And so, you know, of course, they interviewed me for I don't know, like 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 any other interview for for hours and hours. And then they they cherry picked out what they needed, you know, which is fine. However, there's a lot more to the comments I may be making, you know, was it's it a full conversation out of context at all. Did you find that that was the case or was it overall? That's a good question. I'd have to go back and review it. But I, I think that their choice, their choices, um, there were other things that they could have chosen mm -hmm. that I think would have been a better, a better fit to make their point. You yeah. know, what, what is the, the point? I mean, we, we get insight into the cults and uh, how they work as leaders. And I want to talk a bit more about that because it brought back, I've seen all the hell the documentary. It's been a while, but it brought back some of these ideas too. I was like wondering about things. I want to dive into that a bit more too. But how to become a cult leader? Is that like kind of an instruction manual for others? It's like, if you want to become a cult leader, watch our series and you can take some pointers. Or what do you think was the purpose here? No, it's it's done very tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um, the whole Netflix series. I was saying to you before we went on that I really liked the series, especially uh, this was season two. I really liked season one because that was how to become a, a tyrant, and it was giving a which I think every single American should see. They should see the whole series. But every American should see how to become a tyrant, because even though they didn't use what's happening in the United States today, they used all the other great tyrants and, you know, from Hitler to Mussolini to whatever. And they all have a playbook yeah. and they all do the same things. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so what they're. What their point was in in both the first season and the second season was here's the playbook, right? So it was sort of their their title is sort of a tongue in cheek, you know, um, because it's so formulaic, because it's the same patterns as what my book was, which was, you know, here's excerpts from the 
you know, diagnostic manual of mental disorders, right? And here's where this person did it. And here's where this person did the exact same description. So it's not even that all of these tyrants and all of these cult leaders, which are also tyrants, it's just a smaller uh, society, you know, but um, here's where they, they, they follow the same playbook, they all do. And so I guess, you know, what they were using, some people, like I was reading the reviews on the second season, and some people were offended at the humor. You know, they were offended at being flippant about Jim Jones or flippant about being, you know, what the atrocities that went on with Charlie Manson, et cetera. And I can understand that. I, I mean, I can. And and as I said to you before we started, you know, our little hippie community was was episodically lodged between Jim Jones and Charlie Manson. That's Heavyweights. yeah. That's a bit outrageous to me, you know. It really is because and I, it wasn't you, but I was interviewed by, well, I've been interviewed by a lot of people and I don't remember who it was, but they were somewhat disappointed in our group that there were no suicides or murders. Oh my God. <laughs> they really were. They were disappointed. There was a lot know? of fascinating stuff. I want to get into that so that there, there is actually, was even like plastic surgery and ballet performances and so on. So all this kind of came back as a watching It's like, this is completely insane. And so, but yeah. the thing is also, what is a good thing, and you talk about the playbook, I think a lot of these recycled, sometimes even the same slogans are used again and just like minor additions there are changes. And, but it raises awareness so that hopefully once we have this knowledge, we can recognize it and we can call out people on it and say, hey, wait a minute, what you're doing is this. I'm not going to fall for that. One of the things I've noted with like uh, cult leaders and narcissistic leaders like that, there's always a double standard. You do, but I will do other. You be celibate, but I won't be, right? So, and that, that is going on in various levels and so on. And we see it with politicians, political leaders, uh, cult leaders and so on. The hypocrisy is just It's gross. hypocrisy, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, the thing is, is that, you know, <sighs> That's the fallacy with these leaders is that they they're pathological liars, all of them, every one of them across the board are pathological liars. And so the 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 followers do not know that the leader is not practicing what he's preaching. So, you know, when you say, well, you know, everyone was celibate and he didn't have to be. Well, Well, according to him, he was celibate. And he and he expounded on how he, you know, let go of that. The the frustrating thing, Arash, was that the people that he was sexually assaulting were sitting in the room while he was saying that. And they didn't come forward and say, you're a liar. You just fucked me last night. You know, I mean. It's that's the, the, the reason why when I wrote my book, when I when I first wrote the working title to my book was duped, right? Mm-hmm. Because we were duped. Everybody in these groups are duped. They're lied to. They're manipulated. Uh, with him, he used all kinds of parlor tricks, right? So, yes, we were duped. But then as I was going through it and reading it and and analyzing my own journey, 
I was going, yeah, you know what? We were duped. Yeah. You know, and, and people say, people who have interviewed me, they say, oh, Radia, you know, you seem so intelligent. And what they're saying is, oh, we were really expecting a gullible fool. You know, like many of them say to me, well, that would have never happened to me, right? And I always say to them, do you really think that the millionaires and the lawyers who got duped by Bernie Madoff were stupid? Or uneducated. Yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the narcissist figuring out what you want. And then by hook or by crook, by by fantasy or pathological lying or creating the world, they give it to you. Right. So, you know, why didn't you leave for 25 years? Because I really was, for the most part, enjoying my life. It was there was a lot of value to it, right? So that's the thing that I didn't like about the Netflix representation of our situation. First of all, they seem to emphasize that it was all plastic surgery and everyone had to do ballet and what that is a bunch of nonsense, nonsense, utter ridiculous, right? And, and many of us, like, I think there was a handful. So if there was 150 people, maybe five were doing kinds of, you know, Botox and things like that. He, I happen to know, would never go under the knife. He may have implants and Botox and whatever. But when you say plastic surgery, it sounds like he's having facelifts and he's, you know, he, as far as I know, now, after all these years, I may not know, but I was pretty close, right? And I know that if he um, were doing that, he'd be out of commission for at least a couple of weeks because he'd all be all black and blue and whatever. He never was. He never was. So I think that Netflix really took that way over the way over the edge. That wasn't what we were about. Most people did not know about the plastic surgery or anything like that for 10 years after we left. We were, we, we found out about it. A lot of us found out about it when Will did the video, you know, it's like, so, so that wasn't our life. You know, that was, they're not open, right. They're not open. They're not showing all the sites. They're showing only a part that they think you need to see and they're manipulating. It's not like you have your open person, but I love to say Wikipedia description of of him last time I checked, uh, of, um, the Buddha cult leader. Um, and he said it's known to wear nothing but swim briefs and eyeliner. And, um, is, is that correct? Because on the, the documentary, as I remember, that was the case. And so that is already pretty odd to start off with. Okay, so that's also bullshit. Okay. That's nonsense, <laughs> right? Okay, so what happened was, you know, Will, even when Will was interviewing me for Holy Hell, you know, he interviewed four and a half hours, four and a half hours at least of me. And everybody else. So, you know, you you probably know, you know, when you're producing a video and uh, a film or a video and you've got producers and you've got people who want to sell this. OK, they're the ones that want it to be salacious. They want it to be, you know, odd. They want it to be all these things. Right. 
So even Will, he got me, and I say it in in the uh, in both actually. I talk about when he lost an eyelash on his on his chin and whatever. That was a. 30 second conversation out of four and a half hours, you know, a lot deeper stuff. So I want to address the speedos. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. Because it seems like it seems prominent. I have an interview. The documentaries. It seems prominent. It seems quite prominent. Prominent. Like a lot of scenes. That's all they yeah. talk about. Yeah. And in these conversations, like in, I've been interviewed. I've been interviewed all through the United States. I've been interviewed in the UK, in Australia, South Africa, all the English speaking countries, right? They always bring up the Speedos. Yeah. I have read, you know, Speedo wearing guru, all the articles open with that. Yeah. So let me talk about that. I'm really glad everybody's bringing that up, right? Yeah. First of all, the guy is not from America. So, if you were in, if you were French or on the French Riviera or whatever, that's what you would be wearing. Okay, it was not unusual for him. He's from Venezuela. That that was the swimming attire that you you wear in any other country, but the United States. The United States is the biggest crock of prudes. And, and, you know, I, I mean, why that matters, it doesn't matter. But there was another thing. He had a real thing about tanning, right? And he didn't want tan lines. He, that's why he wore Speedos. One, because he wore Speedos his whole life because he's from Venezuela and Europe, right? But he also didn't want tan lines. He also swam every day. So it wasn't like he ran around like that when he wasn't swimming, Right? No, he did not. When he was sunning, when he was tanning, or when he was swimming, like when we were at the lake, we, we wherever we went, one of the criteria for wherever we moved, we moved from Los Angeles to Austin. The criteria, I mean, in Los Angeles, we went to the beach almost every day. Right? So we did a lot of our a lot of our work at the beach, right? And when we moved to, to Austin. Austin has got a lot of water. It's got Lake Travis, which is 80 miles in circumference. And it's got all these, you know, rivers and tributaries everywhere. That's one of the criterias of us moving to Austin. So when you see this footage, which this is what Will had, he had archival footage. Yeah, you're seeing us on outings, you know, is that every day and you know 24 7 nonsense but they just to me, i i said to one person that was interviewing me i said it sounds like an insult about speedos you know it just was so constant constant bringing up the speedos nonsense it just happened to be the footage that that he had all the time because he was the videographer for the group so the best time to get us is when we were all together out in nature, right? So yeah, he was dressed to go swimming, but he didn't he didn't wear that all day every day. It was that's nonsense. And not for the ballet ballet performance either, right? So that wouldn't work. Ballet and speed. Okay, so out of 150, there was probably mm, 20 people that danced. Mm -hmm. And I was the set 
designer for all these ballets. And I bring this up in my book. No, not everyone danced, right? But but there was a couple things that one has to realize. He was in the Oakland Ballet. He's a big ballet fan, huge. And he was a dancer himself. Also, he worked out every day. I mean, he was major body conscious, right? Which... We were doing things that are now fads, right, um, at the gym, which in those days was, it really was few and far between eating healthy, going to the gym, working out, being athletic, swimming, all of that other stuff. Not only was it, you know, from his spiritual perspective, his spiritual perspective, which I still agree with and subscribe to, you know, this is your temple, right? If you're going to disrespect this by eating a lot of crap and, you know, doing nothing and lying around being, you know, lazy and slovenly and whatever, you are not presenting your highest self, right? So that was part of it. Also, from an energetic standpoint, I mean, we were our diet was our diet. We were doing things that are popular today. 40 years ago, you know, no gluten, no dairy, no caffeine, no alcohol, no sugar, no whatever. And it wasn't, you know, you have to do this. It became that. But originally. It was a conversation about this is the best way to maintain your your purest energy. You know, our whole thing was meditation based and it was these particular four techniques of meditations of which he stole from another guru. But that's a whole other story. But but anyway, so the four techniques of the meditation, some people understand words like kundalini. Some people understand words like prana, etc. OK, those are just forms of, you know, um, vibration that occurs in certain meditation states. So originally, his idea was to keep your body as pure as possible so that you don't if you want the highest experience, you don't interfere with things that are going to lower it, you know, make you sleepy, make you tired, make you whatever. So there was a method to his madness. It wasn't all, oh, yes, master. It was like, yeah, this makes perfect sense, especially for me. I'm a, I'm a clinical nutritionist, right? Most of us were either practitioners chiropractors, yoga instructors, nutritionists like myself, chefs, um, you know, really in the holistic field in the first place. That's how we made our living. And we made our living in the world. We were not cloistered in some monastery. Um, So I had my own practice. Many people did have their own practices. And so we were living the life in a community that was all... uh, you know, all in support of each other. That's one of the reasons why it was so hard to leave, because we knew you go out there on your own and try and be disciplined with your diet and with your whatever. Good luck. You know, 
it did you, become you a community, right? And you identify with we were a community. part of, of, of who you are. That makes it again difficult to, to leave it. But what about the identity? Was there uh, again trying to change? Because a lot of uh, times we see there's a changing of names. You take on a different identity. Was that uh, tampered with? And to what extent would you say that was that was going on? You know, the identity thing, you, ha you have to understand from where the, where the philosophy was coming from. This was at a time where we first um, started it. It started in Florida, but primarily the larger part of the group started in Los Angeles. Los Angeles in the late 70s, early 80s, there was so many things going on. There was a cult on every block, but new thinking was a part of it. And so there was a lot of Eastern religion that was or Eastern philosophy that was being embedded, especially in the culture in Los Angeles. You know, we were hippies, basically. So so one of the important things about it was um, to Originally, it had nothing to do with him. It had to do with enlightenment and an attaining enlightenment. So we were reading a lot of uh, a lot of books from Eastern-oriented teachers, Paramahansa Yogananda, you know, Ramana Maharshi, uh, Ananda Moyama, all of these great writers and teachers from India mostly, but also Sufi, um, Buddha. You know, so we're, we were reading a lot of Eastern philosophy and Eastern, and it made more sense to us than the dogma of Western Christianity. So we were trying to move away from that. So the idea originally was these four techniques. It had nothing to do with him. But as we started to read these things, we were reading the relationship between the disciple and the master. And that is in every one of these books. It's about the disciple-master relationship. Excuse me, but it is also in Christianity, right? Jesus was the master, right? And he had disciples. Same kind of relationship. So in the beginning, we didn't look at Jaime as being a god. I didn't, right? And neither did some of the earlier people. He was a teacher. He had these techniques. He had a way of um, living this life that we were emulating. We, we wanted to um, support that. This is what happens in all, in all groups. Once you get somebody who's got narcissistic tendencies and you start feeding them that, mm. he was not like that in the beginning. Mm. He was, you know, his whole slogan was connect to God's love and I will show you how. But he used to say, but this has nothing to do with me. This is your birthright. This is who you are. And this is your relationship with God. I'm just here to give you the techniques and to teach you how to live the highest life you can. That's what it started out to be. So it started out to be connect to God's love in this meditation, in this action, in whatever. After a while, it changed to no longer connect to God's love, connect to my love. So suddenly he became a deity and he started seeing himself that way. 
in, so, in, a, in a way, it's it's the power that kind of corrupts because uh, it might have started off maybe that you know, I, I just assume it, as in, in an okay way, but once he had that power, he said, "Wait a minute, I can satisfy my narcissistic tendencies here, and I can use and manipulate and abuse others." It's absolutely true. Power corrupts, and the book that I'm work, working on right now, the book that I'm working on right now is called. Um, it's called Harder to Fall, The Addiction of Power and Money. Mm. And it is about, you know, I <clears throat> I had a lot of experience with addicts, not only as a practitioner, but also I was in a relationship with an addict for 20 years. So I began to do a lot of research on addiction. And I don't care whether it's addiction, addiction to, you know, gambling or sex or drugs or alcohol or power or money. <laughs> Once you get that, it's harder to fall. It's really hard to come down. And so the reason why I'm writing this, Arash, is because when we're looking at the madness going on in this country and thinking, why are people literally selling their souls for this, these positions because they're addicted. And it's a neurological, it is a neurochemical addiction as powerful as a drug addiction. And so that's the, that's the book I'm working on right now. And so I watched, I watched him start to feed off his own and we fed him, we did. But the, the problem was, or the catch was, we're reading all of these books of how to how to have the relationship, master-disciple relationship. But the goal was not, not to emulate the master or worship the master. The goal was to drop the ego. This is where the Eastern philosophy comes in. Okay, So if you're wanting to attain enlightenment or attain God, from an Eastern standpoint, you cannot have God and me. Me is the identity of self, the ego, because you can't be one with God and have two, right? That's so what the, they say with the Buddha too. If you meet the Buddha, kill him because he can't be the Buddha. You have exactly, you're the same. So that's exactly. again the same idea. And and yeah, and I have people um, who interviewed me and they said, "Oh, you've referred to yourself as the Buddha field," and they wrote articles and whatever, and said we were Buddha worshipers. No, we were not Buddha worshipers. Oh, contraire. We were a field of little Buddhas. Our goal was to attain what the Buddha attained to, not to worship him. Our goal was to attain what the Christ attained to, or any other elevated master that we have seen in history. That was our goal. And for me, my you know, starting at a very, very early age as a child, growing up a Catholic, I was enamored with the saints. I was enamored with their some sort of transcendental state that they could be in where they could, you know, they could allow, you know, they could transcend their body and their mind so that they could also transcend suffering and transcend their body. So part of these disciplines, this is the, the twist, right? Part of these disciplines, like I was never, oh, master, I'm going to do what you say. I was a willing participant in the teachings because I, I was thinking, okay, if my ego 
is what is standing between me and my union with God, then let me first, you, you, we started this conversation with identities. So let me first identify the ego and all of the identities that come with it. You know, so when you, when you look at the, um, when you look at the movie, Holy Hell, that's another reason why I wrote the book. You'll see us doing various exercises out in nature, right? And and he doesn't have time to explain what we're doing, right? But we're, you know, there's one scene where we're running around in the forest and we're looking, you know, and doing all these things. No, we were doing an exercise. And the exercise was be whatever, be a squirrel, be an eagle, be a wolf, be a whatever, Okay, and be that, actually become that, try and feel what it's like. And then after we would do that and explore that, we would say, okay, so what's the difference between an eagle or a wolf and a mouse or a squirrel? One is a predator and one is a, a prey, right? So then the question would be, when are you being a predator and when are you being a prey? So it was a true analysis of all of the various types of personas that we take on, because these are part of our developed ego, right? So if you don't understand what we're doing, we look like a bunch of nuts, right? You know, but we're deliberately, it's not like he's standing there making us act stupid, right? We were allowing ourselves to drop we thought we were and become something else just so we could explore it. We would even explore, like I remember one being a seaweed and being in the ocean and feeling, you know, just like swaying back and forth and feeling the tide and feeling the whatever. And then also feeling um, that the ocean was being polluted. So what did that feel like? It burned and it whatever, right? So that we could gain compassion for our planet, for animals, for ourselves, for everything, right? Yeah. So these were incredible things that we were doing, right? It didn't, you know, it wasn't, you, you can't, if you, one thing I say in the introduction of my book is there was 150 of us and there's no doubt 150 different stories, but one common thing that we all had, you had to be there. Right. Because no one would understand really what we were doing or what it was all about without actually being immersed in it and experiencing it, not just observing it, but experiencing what we were experiencing. That's an important point. But one, one thing I'm, I'm suspicious of when people say they I think it's called Shakti, that the power so that the person will give you the power. And I think like a, a teacher and somebody like Jesus is, is a guide, is a teacher but it's not going to give you the answers. The answers you have to figure out for yourself. It's going to show you, give you tools or show you a path. And I think that's also in, in Buddhism and various like yeah, Eastern philosophies, that's the important point. But here, I think there's like, I have the answer and give it to you. I think that's where we run into, into trouble perhaps. See, and that's the problem. Excuse me, my cat is attacking me. That's the problem. When I first started, the whole thing was about the four techniques. And he would say, when I was initiated, he would say, this has nothing to do with me. I'm going to give you this technique. I'm going to show you how to do it. But imagine me like a midwife. 
I'm not giving you anything. This is inside of you and I'm showing you how to get there. And once you get there, you're on your own, right? But a few years went by, right? And what he, he plagiarized everybody. So the plagiary, the Shakti was from Muktananda. And he would study Muktananda who was considered the Shakti guru. And he, he learned what that was about. So all of a sudden, and this happened, and I remember the night it happened, we, you know, we, there were some initiates like us that were initiated that, you know, he, after that, he had nothing to do with my meditation experience. He was not in the room. He was not there. He wasn't giving me anything. He had already given it to me, showed me how to do it, but, right? So the, the, the elders that had the knowing, which was, originally called the knowledge, which was stolen from Maharaji. Um, he changed the word from the knowledge to the knowing because after his narcissism started to grow, he wanted to make it special. He didn't want anybody to have any connection with any other guru out there. So, so his little narcissistic wheels started to turn. So about... I don't know, several years in, we're all sitting around at, at um, satsang. And after satsang, there was always something called prashad. And prashad is, you know, um, food made in, in the love of God, whatever. And so we would go around to each person and have open eye meditation, which, as I, as I say in my book, we would stare into each other's eyes forever. Right? It was like, Oh, my God. But the, the point of that was that we were practicing when when you're in front of somebody. Be there with them. Don't be. Oh, here's some food. You know, it's like really be there with them and really connect and really just get in there and and be empty. Right. So that's what Prashad was. So we were doing Prashad. And they would go and give him prashad, and then they'd move to the next person, the next person. And one night, probably after he had just thumbed through, you know, Muktananda's book, one night he started giving shakti. And a lot of us were like the older, the elders, like me, were going, "Okay, what's what's going on here?" Right now, I say that I talk about this in the book. Most people were like, you know, they would do it. And so did I. I never got anything from it. I mean, I never got anything from it. It was like, okay, I don't know what we're doing here, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Right. But you would also see other people that were never initiated. So Arash, he stopped giving the techniques of the knowing after that. So for 18 years, he never gave anyone their own thing. That's when it went from connect to God's love to connect to my love. And I watched the metamorphosis of this narcissist bloom in front of me. And when he did that, I confronted him on it. I said, what's this connect to my love all of a sudden? And he said to me, well, Radia." Because that was his voice. Well, Radia, some people, not you, 
And he would say that because he knew how to play me, right? Not you, but some people need a living master. They need someone they can talk to and feel and see. I am just being that for them, right? It was logical at the time. I didn't I didn't realize anyone was getting hurt at the time. And and besides that, oddly enough, what are you gonna do about it? Confront him publicly? You would be annihilated, believe me. And you would be annihilated. The community that was there. And I did not want to lose the community. So I watched this progression of his narcissism build and build and get more and more powerful. And it wasn't, you know, after a while, I told, I said this to you before, I wanted to leave in 1995. I didn't leave until 2006. So 11 years, I was confronted. And my friends today, they laugh about how angry I was. You know, they would go, oh, my God, Roddy, you would sit in the back seething. And I was like, really? Was I that obvious? And they were like, oh, yeah, you can't hide it, you know. And what I was is I was angry at him. I was like, what is this bullshit display? I knew you when, dude. You know, I knew you when we were just friends. You know, now you're acting like this big bullshit hotshot. And I'm seeing I'm seeing my community going for it. I'm seeing them all very much, what was scary, very much like South Korea. You know, he'd say something stupid or whatever, and they'd be, and they'd laugh, I mean, laugh out loud and applaud. And I was like, whoa. And I was pissed, right? Because I was seeing their deterioration, you know? And, you know, after a while, when they would give him Shakti, they would go very similar to the um, to the snake handlers and the Pentecostals that, that writhe on the floor and uh, do all of this stuff. That started happening. And it was bullshit. It was bullshit. It was it was mass hysteria. hysteria Don't misunderstand me. I, I I do think that they think that something was going on. But if something was going on, it wasn't because he was giving it to them. It was because of their own internal experience. But I do see how there was mass hysteria. And the mass hysteria fed his ego. The more they acted out and writhed on the floor and cried and did all of that, the hotter he got. It's contagious, too, among the other members, right? So it spread. Absolutely. And the thing was, you didn't want to be the angry person in the back, right? With a scowl on your face, right? Being skeptical. You didn't want to do that. So some people, I I had a few people, names will be not mentioned, who, you know, they were initiated and they didn't feel anything. They didn't get anything. And I was an elder. And so some of them confided in me. Right. And they said, I'm really disappointed because I didn't, you know, I just got this big initiation and I didn't feel anything. Then the next night I would hear them talk about their experience. And all they would do was mimic everybody else's. And like I said, I said in my book, well, yeah, nobody wants to be the spiritual dud, 
right? Like while everybody's experiencing all of these enlightened, heightened experiences, you don't want to be the one that, you know, that's the dumb that can't experience anything, right? So it, it, it fed itself. And that's how it, and as we fed each other, we fed him. And that's how it developed. And it took years, but oh my God, it was such a study in, in that mentality and how it happens. And it's, it's complex. I mean, you can say, well, why didn't you say something or whatever? Well, you're right. I didn't want to be out of the community and I didn't, I didn't want to, or I, he made sure that you doubted yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that was his goal is to make sure you're, he's on his toes to make sure you, um, if you've got any kind of question in your mind or hesitation, he wants to make sure, how do you know that they're not experiencing something just because you're not, how do you know they're not? And who are you to tell them that they're not? And you're like, yeah. You know, gaslighting too. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a point, you know, and it looked like they were really enjoying it and loving what they were going through. So who am I to throw this big wet blanket on them? I couldn't prove it anyway. And none of the, you know, none of the guys that were being abused came forward. None of them came forward. And occasionally, like through the years, some people would leave. He'd annihilate them publicly, you know, very similar to what Trump does, right? He would, you know, ridicule them and annihilate them and say, you know, how his terminology was, they'll just miss in this life, which was a horrible thing. I mean, in Eastern kind of philosophy, we were, karma was a big deal. And our goal was, our goal was not to return, right? We didn't want to return to this very physical, painful world. So to miss in this life was one of the hooks, you know? And so it's it's really complex of how um, a small group can develop into this sickness. Yeah. And we were all there. We were all there. Had nothing to do with intelligence or education. It's really complex. And it's complex psychology you know, and every time I would question him or do anything, remember, he made his living out of hypnotherapy, for God's sakes. So he had his talons in your psyche every week. And, you, you know, you were spilling your guts of every fear, every skeleton in your closet, everything. So if I ever questioned him and came to him, You know, he knew I had an abusive brother. I had an abusive father and whatever. He also knew that he could never be abusive to me because that would have been my line in the sand. So he became the opposite. He became the benevolent male. He became the good guy. He was like my older brother. And he treated me like that. He treated me very special. And he treated me like I was more intelligent and you know that's why he said some people not you but some people because he knew how to play me he was my friend right but with somebody else he would be violent to them and somebody else he would be a different way he was chameleon he'd be whatever he figured out they need 
you know, and he couldn't figure out what they needed because we told him every week, you know, and paid for it on top of that, you know. So it, it's complex. It really is complex. Yeah, it's uh, it's you had to be there, as you say, when the context is important and like seeing the you nuance, had to be there. not as as simple as it seems, or they get much more complex. It's it's always an experience talking to you. It's always like I, I learn new things, and our audience uh, really appreciates it as well. And just uh, ready your glass, so, so glad so glad to have you here again. Uh, your book is the followers holding out on the disciples of narcissistic leaders. And people can also find you on the third episode of How to Become a Cult Leader on Netflix. Thank you so on much. Netflix. For and on also on, on Amazon. Holy Hell is still on Amazon. So you can check it out. So I really appreciate it. I always like to talk to you, Arash. Good luck to you and, and we'll your you again program. Soon. I'm looking forward to your, to your next book. Uh, yeah. Pardon Keep the fall. Okay, I will. All right.